It's Monday, and that so happens to be the day that I like to talk about monsters. Hello, and welcome to Monster Mondays. I'm Jeff Arbuckle, co-host of the podcast Film Seizure, that you can catch each Wednesday at FilmSeizure.com or at a number of podcast providers online. This week, we're going below ground to uncover the mysteries of the hollow earth and come face-to-face with mole people. As I mentioned last week when wrapping up House of Dracula and what really serves as the end of the classic Universal Monsters era for the studio. Um, They weren't really done yet with monsters and horror, per se. Uh, By the 50s, though, gothic horror creatures of the 30s and 40s kind of gave way to horrors made by man and science. Sometimes it was giant bugs, sometimes it was the horror that comes from archaeology and anthropology. And as we were kind of understanding more about the physical world around us, we might discover the creatures existed through evolution or other means and hiding from plain sight. Now, the mole people would ultimately be more of the latter, but based on some wild theories about our planet and other past civilizations, there's a whole opening to this movie where one Dr. Frank Baxter, an English professor at the University of Southern California, gives us an explanation of the movie that we'll be watching. It's based on theories of a hollowed earth. Um, And that basically means that there's a world underground that possesses life and civilizations as the surface does. This is mostly based on the works of people like John Sims and Cyrus Teed, who theorized this possibility in the 1800s. Baxter talks about how the mole people is basically a fictionalized representation of these ideas. Now, I would like to back up for a second and talk about Frank Baxter. Baxter was indeed a well-respected professor. However, this is a movie about archaeologists going into the hollow earth to find either Mesopotamian concepts of a hollow earth or more accurately as they are probably really depicted in the Sumerians. Um... And that, that's both archaeology and anthropology. That is decidedly not English, which was Baxter's expertise. In fact, his real expertise was in the works of Shakespeare. Yet, here he is. The prevailing thought is that Baxter was placed into the movie to make the idea of this hollow earth stuff seem more plausible and something worth watching and not just laughed off as a creature feature. And Baxter was quite the celebrity. He received seven Emmy Awards for his work on various TV shows, particularly dealing with Shakespeare, and received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. But there are three notable actors in this movie once Baxter exits. Uh, The first is John Agar. Now, I've had John Agar's movies uh, a couple of times in past Monster Monday's episodes, Revenge of the Creature and Tarantula. Agar was best known for his work in B-films, but he never regretted this. He was a piece that he gave some people entertainment, even if it was kind of silly. He liked the idea that people would go see his movies because of the fantastical elements of it. The next star in this is Hugh Beaumont. Now, Beaumont would be best known for appearing as Ward Cleaver in Leave it to Beaver. I don't think that I need to go any further than that, but he appeared in several films in his career. 
Lastly, we have Alan Napier. Napier is by far best known as Alfred on the 1966 Batman TV series, having been credited in all 120 episodes of that series. But he had a massive career that spanned almost 60 years. He had roles in The Invisible Man Returns and uh, uncredited roles in Cat People, My Fair Lady, and Mary Poppins and a supporting role in Alfred Hitchcock's Marnie that starred Tippi Hedren and Sean Connery. But enough of all that, as previously mentioned, Dr. Baxter goes ape on the whole idea of a hollow earth, and he talks a lot about how stories and tales from the early stages of civilization, um, that, you know, they always thought there was stuff going on under our feet. Now, I'll circle back around to this stuff a little bit later. But that said, Baxter frames this movie as a fable and cops to the idea that this is a pretty out there concept to kind of gawk at a little bit. So then we get into our movie. In Asia, doctors Roger Bentley, who's played by Agar, and Judd Bellaman, who's played by Beaumont, are on an archaeology dig um, there's a peculiar tablet that they kind of find that they don't expect to find it where where they ended up seeing it um, and it's written in Sumerian and uh, Bentley and Bellaman uh, working with Professor Lafarge and Dr. Stewart tie the tablet and the names on it back to the mysterious disappearance of an entire civilization after an earthquake sets the uh, dig back about a month before they can really get back to where they had gotten to, a boy brings them something that he's discovered, which is an oil lamp artifact that also has a bunch of Sumerian writing on it and depicting basically a Sumerian version of Noah's Ark. Uh, this lamp was found at the top of a medium-sized mountain, so Bentley and Bellman plan to climb it. Um, as the team reaches their plateau destination, they discover the ruins of a Sumerian temple. And as the team looks around, the ground under Dr. Stewart gives way, and he falls essentially into a seemingly bottomless cavern. And when Bentley, after scaling down a couple of hundred feet, ultimately finds Stewart, uh, he's been killed in the fall, obviously. Worse, an equipment mishap leads to a cave-in that traps Bentley, Bellaman, and Lafarge into this mountain. Now, Lafarge is immediately freaking out about being trapped, but Bentley, looking around with his flashlight, realizes that this isn't a natural cavern. It's been excavated, and there's a draft, so there must be, you know, that must be coming from somewhere, which means that there's very clearly, or very likely, a way out. But they are not alone. Claws, much like the ones you would see on a mole, start digging through the wall, and the face of a mole person looks through to see who's causing all this commotion in the caverns. Eventually, the three archaeologists come to where the light shines on a Sumerian city, and they kind of mention that there must be something kind of phosphorus in the walls of this cave that kind of creates this artificial light. It's not super bright, but there is some sort of a light they can kind of look around in. Um, now, Bentley surmises that the people on that ark that they were reading about on that oil lamp um, were basically were trying to escape a flood, but ran directly into an earthquake that led them 
into this giant open space where they could build their new city and civilization. The men are ultimately captured by the monstrous mole people and dragged underground, and they're taken to a dungeon where they find skeletons of what appears to be humanoid beings, but they have particularly large skulls. We find out uh, that these are basically the remains of other mole people. Soon, they are collected by two guards. Now, these guards and everyone else in the city uh, that basically isn't a mole person turn out to be albinos, and the men are taken to see the king and the high priest. Now, that high priest is who Alan Napier plays, and the archaeologists tell them that they're from the surface, but the high priest tells them that there is no such place. Basically, whether they be good or evil, he decides that they will perish in what he calls the fires of Ishtar. Um, and partly because they feel like it was blasphemous to basically say they were from what the people of this city or of this civilization deem heaven. They can't be from heaven unless they are immortal. Um, but they're not exactly too too sure they want to prove themselves to be mortal or immortal to these albinos if you get if you catch my drift there um but as they escape lafarge is nearly killed by the guards but bentley shines his flashlight directly into the guards eyes and they are all blinded and they have to retreat as our heroes escape they discover that the mole people are being whipped and forced into grueling slave labor by the sumerians Lafarge, old, injured, barely able to breathe, and generally a liability, runs off in a panic and right into a mole person who ends up killing him. The high priest finds Bentley and Bellaman and basically offer to make amends, and they're given a feast where a girl who looks more like the surface people than she does one of the Sumerian albinos is delivering some food to them. They say that she was born with the, quote, mark of darkness, unquote. The civilization can only sustain so many people, and if they go over the population limit, the extras are basically sacrificed to Ishtar. Uh, Bentley and Bellaman try to figure out who they can maybe get to help uh, to get out of there, knowing that they won't simply be allowed to leave, nor will they be freed. Um, and that's when this girl they met earlier, a dad, um, comes in and Bentley starts kind of making nice with her. Trouble is brewing, though. The king believes the two surface men are indeed divine gods or beings of some sort of godlike stature and uh, are indeed from their, what their concept of heaven is. Now, the high priest doesn't believe this and plans to overthrow the king um, by way of essentially capturing Bentley's flashlight because he says that that basically contains that fire of Ishtar. Um, and if he gets that, he'll be able to take control of the mole people as well as the king and anyone else who might get in his way. Meanwhile, Bentley and Bellaman make friends with the mole people and realize that they are not that dangerous as they only attack when they are compelled to by the king's men. In the final 15 minutes of this movie, the high priest attempts to convince the king that it's those outsiders who are sowing the seeds of rebellion with the mole people and that they should be dealt with before their entire civilization is destroyed. But before they are able to do that, uh, we do see what the sacrifice uh, D 
deal is where they send three women naked into the fire of Ishtar, which appears to be just a simply super bright room that when their bodies are, uh, you know, basically brought out by the various uh, altar people of the church, uh, they're all burnt up to a crisp. Now, the uh, to convince the king that the surface people are not who he thinks they are, the high priest shows the body of the dead and very, very much mortal Lafarge and gets his, gets the king's okay to basically deal with Bentley and Bellamin. And unbeknownst to Adad, um, she serves them drugged mushrooms and they are captured by the high priest. He also takes their flashlight, but when everything hits the fan, it is kind of funny that the flashlight's been, uh, is basically out of battery, so he's not able to use it like he wanted to. But she then... Uh, runs off and seeks help from the mole people and Bentley and Bellamin are tossed into the room with the fire of Ishtar but that's when the mole people revolt and attack and basically the mole people make quick work of the Sumerians and then help Adad uh, open the sacrifice chamber and the chamber is just full of a super bright light but it doesn't affect Adad or and it didn't affect uh, Bentley and Bellamin either it's just simply sunlight and Bentley explains that uh, she's basically a surface person and the rest of the Sumerians were just people who had their ability to deal with the sunlight bred out of them over thousands of years. Uh, but don't worry why she isn't like the rest of the other of her people. Actually, don't worry about her at all. When she gets to the surface and plans to leave with Bentley and Bellamin, she's startled by an earthquake and is ultimately crushed by the crumbling temple and dies. The end. Now, let's talk about the three things I like about the mole people. First, generally speaking, I'm not so sure that I could always say this is a good thing, but I do like how this movie is just mostly taking place in a series of caverns and maybe three large open sets. That said, it does a lot with that. In some ways, I get the same kinds of feelings watching this as I would watching a few of the old classic Doctor Who serials. In particular, I'm thinking of stuff like you know, the Silurians or Revenge of the Cybermen. Both of those featured a lot of caves and what have you. And these are cramped settings and there's a lot of walking this way down one corridor then walking back in the other direction to look like they're coming down a different corridor and so forth. But this movie kind of gets me in a particular mindset that makes me reminisce about some of those old Doctor Who ser serials. And especially, it, it does feel a little cramped and Lafarge is not too far off from thinking that... Uh, he's not able to breathe too well because he's kind of claustrophobic in these sets. I, I kind of get it. And it actually sets that tone fairly well with that character. Second, I really do like the design of the mole people who are enslaved by the Sumerians. Um, the creatures are not only well designed for a relatively cheap movie, but they're also quite sympathetic. Because they turn out to be helpful to our two main heroes, we do get to see them a lot. And that's actually kind of great because... Uh, you might be convinced that they're kind of the real threat and that they're going to be the things that will show up every now and then, but then they're going to show up at the end to cause all the, all the bad stuff. I mean, they're ugly. They have these big scary eyes and big sharp claws. And our first interactions with these things are them watching our heroes as they travel around the caverns after being trapped inside the mountain. And then they toss bags over their heads and capture them for the high priest and king to interrogate and such. So we kind of think of them as the monsters 
um, and we should be afraid of them. But it doesn't take long for us to feel pretty sorry for these poor creatures. They are evolved enough to have some ability to reason and communicate in some rough way. At one point, they appreciate the kindness shown by Bentley and Bellaman when they free some of the mole people from being chained and whipped in the dungeon. Then later, they understand that Adad is needing their help uh, because Bentley and Bellaman are in danger. But what makes them look cool are that these monsters who are either mostly black in appearance or dark gray. And where does this movie take place? Well, in the dark caverns under a mountain. Yet they stand out perfectly. You can clearly see that they have this exoskeleton and this smooth oval-shaped head and these giant eyes. I mean, they just look neat. Um, it's a very solid design for a monster and showed that Universal was always strong in their monster effects, even if their glory days were in the past. And on top of that, I like the way that they would come up from underground. It's a really basic effect. These things, uh, these were not much more than tubes, I would imagine, that the monster actors could be in. And then it was covered with gravel but it was loose enough that they could come up through or possibly maybe more accurately in some situations it might have been sometimes filmed backwards and they were lowered under the rocks and then uh, covering them as they went down either way it's simple and effective but overall a pretty good looking monster and everything about them was kind of well conceived Lastly, there's a very silly, make-believe, quaint idea of how ideas and science ultimately lead to discovery. Now, we have Frank Baxter telling us that these people had these strange and interesting ideas. One uh, being that there you know, were several layers of inhabitable uh, areas under the crust of the Earth. Another was that uh, we weren't actually on the surface of the planet, but actually looking inward at the core that produced both light and dark, somehow. The guy who had the idea about the pockets of inhabitable zones uh, was, as Baxter, Baxter said, a hero of the War of 1812, John Sims. Now, Sims tirelessly traveled and spoke about his theories so much so that Baxter says he basically died before he had a chance to ever make an experiment on this and it's an interesting idea but it's clear that he was maybe dealing with some other stuff um, just sitting back here as an armchair uh, psychologist I guess uh, maybe he came up with this idea while high on some sort of medical grade drug uh, to treat him for something that happened during the war or maybe uh, he began smoking hash or opium or something I don't know it's very clear he became obsessed with this idea so far as to have died from exhaustion before he could even put his ideas to the test the point I'm trying to make is that it makes for a really kind of cool story to tell on a fantastical sci-fi thriller with mole monsters level right um, ideas spring forth experiment and scientific discovery uh, but there is one other thing about this movie that is very, very, very much a 1950s thing. One of the characters, and I think it's John Agar, uh, say that the tale of Noah's Ark and the world flood was scientific fact. That is absolutely not a fact. And a lot of conspiracy theorists and crypto science folks do believe in the idea of a worldwide flood. Uh, that would drive people underground or that gives some 
concept to how civilization has been built upon the mud left over and so on. I'm not too well versed in all those ideas, uh, certainly not that well versed in the Bible, not that well versed in the mud flood theories, but I will say that I find it interesting in a science fiction movie that tells a story within theories of an inner earth has to also go back to and, and talk about something explicitly Judeo-Christian in nature. It's almost like they're saying in the middle of a reawakening of conservatism and concern over communism, leftism, atheism, and secular concepts gaining traction that they have to tie this very obvious sci-fi and scientific concept uh, back to religion somehow. That's why I see something, uh, I see this as something kind of quaint and so over-the-top fantastical that it makes these kind of 50 sci-fi creature features fun to watch even if they are kind of silly and very outdated that wraps up this week's monster mondays you can catch new episodes of monster mondays each monday at filmseizure.com don't forget to follow film seizure at facebook twitter and instagram and subscribe to film seizure to get both the film seizure podcast and monster mondays at your favorite podcast providers as well as youtube you can also check out my website bmovieanima.com to read new articles every friday morning next time we go from the inner earth to outer space with the 1955 technicolor classic this island earth until next week stay spooky